in the book of Job, kind of in the middle of the book, chapter 31, Job 31. Thankful for God's word, thankful that it's true, it's still relevant, even the, uh, I think this is the oldest book of the Bible, and you can go into the oldest book of the Bible and find Job saying, I know that my Redeemer liveth way before Jesus came on this earth. So this is before law, before everything, before Israel, before uh, you've got Job believing that there's a Redeemer and that he's alive before he's alive. Uh, that's faith is what that is. So I'm, I'm just thankful that God, uh, and one of the amazing things about Job, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, it's a long book and uh, some of the first times going through the Bible, uh, I struggled with it, you know, because it's a lot of chapters and, uh, uh, I, you know, a lot of the things weren't as evident as some of the other books. They didn't just uh, come right out right off the bat like some of the other truths and some of the other books and I struggled with it. Uh, but uh, as I dug into it more over the years and realized there there's a lot in there and uh, even though it's a uh, it, it's a long book and it's an old book. There's a lot of things in there about the earth that they didn't even know yet. You know, he, uh, when he talks about God sitting on the circle of the earth, they thought the earth was flat. They didn't think it was a circle. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it just goes to show that the Bible uh, is true and it was true. Uh, and there, I'm sure there are things that the Bible's talking about right now that the scientists will tell you is false. But it's just a matter of time. The scientists just haven't figured it out yet. But God already knows uh, it's nothing for him. But I want to look at chapter 31, uh, the first uh, handful of verses here in the chapter. Uh, it says this, uh, Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Uh, why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity or I, or if my foot have hasted to the deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. If I, if my step hath turned out of the way and mine heart walked after mine eyes, if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to dig into your your word tonight, Lord, uh, Lord, a passage that probably doesn't get uh, preached as much, but Lord, we know that you have truth, and Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit, help our ears to uh, to listen and to learn tonight, and to draw closer to you. Lord, we thank you for all things, and in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. amen. So uh, in, in this uh, chapter right here, this chapter 31, uh, like I said, you're kind of in the uh, in the mid middle portion of the book uh, where Job and his three friends, you know, we almost say friends in quotes, uh, have come to him and they have all accused him basically uh, of they're saying, Job, 
all the problems that you're in right now, everything that's gone against you and all the trial that you're in, they've all said it's because you've got sin in your life. You are hiding sin. Uh, you, and then uh, when Job would kind of confront that and, and reject that, uh, they would just say, well, you're just hiding it because there's basically boiling it down. There's no way that all this could happen to you unless you are sinning against God. And one of the lessons of the book that you learn, probably the first lesson you learn, uh, is the fact that that is not true. There are, uh, we have trials uh, you can live. Uh, now, you will reap what you sow. So if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. Uh, but just because you live righteously doesn't mean you will never face a trial. And that's why uh, you can't always go back and link things to a sin. Now, sin does cause consequences uh, even for sins that are forgiven by God, uh, there are consequences there. But in Job, it makes it clear. Uh, it wasn't Job's testimony that we know how Job was living. Uh, it's God's testimony. God testified of Job three different times and said, have you considered my servant Job? You know, he's, uh, and, and we'll look at that verse later. But here in chapter 31, there is a switch. So Job uh, is now proclaiming his innocence. And he, in this chapter, kind of goes through the whole thing. And again, we're only looking at the first handful of verses. But he goes kind of line by line uh, how he is living uh, and one of the words I like in here uh, is with integrity. That's what it says in verse 6. But one of the things that God said is that he feared God. That, that uh, uh, Job lived as a God-fearing man, living righteously. Now, he didn't have the complete Bible, but he knew how to live righteously. He knew what God expected of him. And he's living in integrity. And I believe that sometimes we think about uh, what righteousness looks like and what God-fearing looks like and what holy looks like. And then uh, sometimes it doesn't always match or sometimes we, we think about it in our head. But what does it really look like lived out? And I think here in this chapter, we can see some evidence of what it looks like to fear God lived out. So in a Christian life, this is how we want to live, right? This is the way we want to live. So uh, uh, there's kind of in these first verses that I read, there's basically three things uh, that Job is going to cover in these first few verses. Number one, here's what integrity looks like. He's saying, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? And what he's saying is he is promising his eyes uh, to never stare at a young woman. That's what he's saying. He's promised to never do that uh, because we know what happens. That that look, that gaze turns into, a st into thoughts. That's what happens. It goes uh, James chapter 1 and verse 13. Uh, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted. See, we can't stop that part. We're going to be tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So James is describing what's happened. 
And here's the thing. When you're talking about Job's example, looking at a woman in that split second decision, you've got to tell yourself to look away. You've got to, to look away because uh, when that is ignored, James is saying that that enticement that doesn't look away goes straight to the mind. And then the mind turns into a sin. And that's what's, that is describing how lust works. And whether you're talking about a sexual thing or any type of lust, uh, it works the same way. And what he's saying is you've got to, he had a covenant, he had an agreement. Uh, he was saying, hey, I have got to close my eyes with things. I've got to look the other way uh, because the eyes are a gateway into lust, into sin. They, you've got to close them. You've got to do those things because we can't avoid all temptations. Now we can lessen them. I'll tell you, there's things we know not to look. We know different uh, places not to look, different channels not to look. We know these things uh, to, to lessen the temptation, but we can't completely avoid it. But we also can't linger. That means you've got to change the channel, look away, click the back button and everything else before the lust of the flesh is activated. And he says, every man is tempted, but we can't blame the devil, Right? Because he says the drawing away, uh, he says, uh, uh, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So when it's the own lust that's not checked and when it's not stopped, that leads to sin. And he's saying, hey, remember how God described him? Job was a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. That's what he told Satan. That's how uh, the integrity of Job and Job is saying, hey, you want when it comes to lust and battling that you want to live a God fearing life. You've got to check your eyes. That's what he's saying. Look at verses two and three. For what portion of God is there from above and what inheritance of the almighty from on high is not destruction to the wicked and strange punishment to the workers of iniquity. And he's saying, hey, uh, uh, listen, we uh, cannot get away with sin. I believe that's what he's talking about. We can't get away with it uh, because, uh, again, if. If you were in a setting, see, you think of Job, if he's staring at a woman that's literally there, she's going to notice eventually. But now we've got technology where you can stare at things and, and nothing happens, right? You're just staring at a screen uh, and you can continue to do that. And then it moves into lust and to sin. Uh, and that's the problem with technology today. Uh, and here's the thing. You can do that when nobody's around. You can do that or with your worldly friends and nobody's going to stop you. Uh, uh, but here's the thing. No matter if anyone else knows, God knows, right? He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're not doing. And that's what uh, Job is talking about in 2 and 3. He's saying there's going to be consequences if I don't. If I don't check my eyes, I'm going to have consequences with God. Is He's not going to freely allow that as if nothing is happening. Look at verse 4. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? God is watching us. He knows what we're doing. And, 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 you know, we can think of this in a negative way, but he watches us also to take care of us as well. And here's the thing. We cannot, uh, you can hide things from everyone, but you can't hide it from God. So that's the first subject that he covers. And then he switches gears in verse five. If I have walked with vanity or if my foot hath hasted to deceit. 
Now he's talking about how he walks. And we know in the Bible, uh, when it's talking about walking, uh, just kind of like conversation, that's how we conduct ourselves. Uh, that's how we live our life. And what's he say? If I have walked with vanity or if my foot have hasted to deceit. And he's talking about vanity and deceit. Uh, and here's the thing. Remember, he is arguing the opposite. He's saying, hey, just like I had a covenant with my eyes, just like I was careful uh, uh, to turn away my eyes, he's saying, now I have lived an honest life. I've lived a life of honesty and lived a life of purity. And here's the truth. In today's society, it is nearly impossible to find people that want to live a pure life and an honest life life right it's almost impossible today we're looking around and we can't trust anybody amen we can't and if you think you can trust a lot of people uh, you're probably the next one that will fall for something i'll give you a little i'll give you a little tip right now if someone is calling you right they're calling you don't give them any personal information now this may seem silly but i am telling you what every day I've got a customer that gives away their personal information. Why? They say, well, the person said they were with the bank. Don't trust an incoming call. Why? Because people are not honest, right? We have to lock our doors. Why? People are not honest, right? right? We've got to do all these things because people are trying uh, to steal. They're trying to scam and everything else. In fact, a lot of times it even gets down to family members, right? They can't even trust each other, right? They, uh, because of these things, people have been hurt by dishonesty, hurt by fraud, and are hesitant to trust anybody, right? But a true Christian person that fears God, uh, we have got to live an honest lifestyle. We have to be honest in what we say. We have to be honest in paying our bills, we got in our debts. We have to be honest uh, in all parts of our life. And in this world, I don't care how deceitful they get, how dishonest they get, how much they follow a lie. We have got to live a different life. And here's the other thing. You can't live one way in the church and then another way at home and then another way at work. You've got to live the same everywhere you go. Right? Everywhere you go. Uh, don't just clean it up because you're around us because, again, God sees everything. He sees it all. A deceitful lifestyle is always vain. Remember Solomon taught us in Ecclesiastes, vanity, it means emptiness, temporary, unsatisfying. And if you are living an unhonest, untruthful, deceitful life, your life is in vain. You are not amounting to anything that God can use or anything that anybody can trust. Amen. But here's the problem. This is what we do. We look at other people and say, well, that person's never honest. But what about ourselves? Are we always being honest? There are some people that don't think they have a problem. And those of you, those people that know you the best, can't trust a thing you say. Because you're not honest. That is not righteousness. That's not God-fearing. Right? We've got to be honest. In fact, I, I've made a career of trying to catch criminals uh, and fraud and everything else. And what I've noticed is you may come up with a great scheme, a great scam, and it will work for a while, but you will get caught. And you're thinking, well, Mike, I don't know. People have, people have uh, done things for a long time. Here's the thing. Maybe you won't get caught in this life, but it will catch up to you. You will stand before God. 
That house of cards will fall. The lies are discovered. And then it brings punishment. You know where the origin is? Jesus said this in John 8, 44. Ye are of the father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Every time we tell a lie, we are, uh, uh, we are associating ourselves with the devil. Because he's the liar. He's the deceiver from the beginning. God does not want lies. He wants truth. He wants honesty. And Jesus didn't mince words. He said dishonesty leads to other sin. And sin leads to people being dishonest. Right? Because they try to cover it up and everything else. But if we're deceitful, we're following the devil's footsteps. And what are we called to do as a Christian anyway? To spread the truth. Right? The word, the truth. How can we give truth to somebody if they don't believe what we're saying because we're dishonest? It doesn't work. You can't mix the two. We can't teach the truth about Jesus Christ, the truth about sin, the truth about hell if in our everyday lives we are not living an honest life. If we can't be trusted in small things, how can we be entrusted to, to teach and spread the truth of Jesus Christ? It's not okay to bend the truth or anything else. We've got to be truthful. And then look what Job says, verse 6. Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. And he is saying, Lord, not only is he giving his defense, right? He is telling uh, them that this is how I've lived. But now Job is inviting God to search him. And I already said it a minute ago. We are the worst judge of our own sin, of our own problems, of our own shortcomings. We're the worst ones because we give ourselves way more grace than we give anyone else, right? We make excuses for us and we don't make those same with other, other people. In fact, usually what we do, if we're honest with ourselves, we look at other people in the worst light and our, our, ourselves in the best light. So because of that, we're not a good judge of ourselves. We have to ask God, God, judge me, search my life, look for any dishonesty. And what's he saying? Use an honest balance because the merchants in those days, you know, you would weigh things out uh, and you would buy something by weight and they would have a weight that uh, uh, is too, it doesn't weigh as much as it should. That way you think you're paying for a pound of something and you're getting shorted. Right? That's what they would do. Unjust weights. And the Bible didn't like that. But Job said, hey, when God measures my life, he measures it fairly. He is the only fair judge you will ever meet in your life. And he will. And nothing is hid from him. He can't be bribed or anything else. He's not going to cheat us or give favors or anything else. But he will give an honest evaluation of your life if you ask him. The Holy Spirit will point things out if you really want to know. And David asked, David told uh, God to search his heart. And what he was saying is, Lord, what you already know is there. Let me know about it. And then once you do that, which it's a good thing, be ready to make some changes because he'll point things out. Then he shifts gears one more time. Verse 7. If my step hath turned out of the way and mine heart walked after mine eyes... And if any blot 
uh, blot hath cleaved to mine hands, and let me sow, and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. So now he is starting to talk about covetousness. So remember he said uh, his eyes didn't lust. Uh, he was trying in verse 1 to make sure his eyes didn't lust after things. Uh, and now uh, they, though that was kind of in a sexual way. And then the lusting now is in a covetous way. That's what he's talking about in verse 7. And that is wanting things that other people have. You know, wanting uh, uh, different things that are for sale even too. You can covet things that are for sale. And, and these are not things that we need that are uh, required to live. These are the extra things. These are the wants. Uh, and and what, what do the advertisers, what do the marketers do today? They make us feel like we need every single thing, right? That's what they try to do. That's what every advertisement is trying to make you uh, think that you can't live without something. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to key in on that uh, covetousness part that's part of our flesh. But here's the thing. A man, a woman of God has got to be satisfied with what God has blessed us with. Now that doesn't mean we can never have a nice thing or never have a new thing or anything else or an extra thing or we can never have fun. That's not what we're saying. But what he's saying is you've got to put uh, your heart uh, uh, towards uh, uh, the Lord. You've got to be satisfied with what you have because not only do the marketers uh, make you think you need to buy everything, but that can also translate into other parts of your life where you feel like, well, the season of my life I'm in I don't like it I want the next season and then you get to the next season and you say well I don't want this I want the next thing and all of a sudden you find yourself never being satisfied ever even though you've got what you wanted before see that's what the devil wants he wants a Christian to always want something else that's covetousness envy is I want the life of somebody else instead of my own life that's not something we need either and a man that fears God will say, you know what? God has blessed me with more than I even deserve. And you know what helps to uh, combat covetousness? We talked about it this morning. It's thankfulness. The more you're thankful for what God's given you, the less you're going to think you need everything else in order to satisfy yourself. But here's the thing, right? Job was a wealthy man, right? We know that. Looking at verse and chapter one, looking at the last chapter, he began, he ended as a wealthy man. So you're thinking, well, it's easy for a man like Job to not covet or anything else. But look at what his challenge was specifically. Verse 24, if I have made gold my hope or have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great and because mine hand had gotten much. Do you realize Job had to deal with more than you and I have to deal with? Right. You and I will never, uh, well, maybe, but not right now. I don't think anyone in this room is having to say, man, I sure hope my gold, I don't trust in gold more than God, right? I don't think any of us have any. Maybe you do, I don't know. But that's one of the challenges he had as a rich man. Is he could, uh, uh, instead of putting his trust in God, he could have put his trust in the bank account. And I've seen many that do that. And there's been periods of my life where I've done that too, right? I've come up with a challenge and I've said, you know what? Uh, I, I've got enough in the bank. We'll just, you know, write a check. We'll just do the transaction and everything will be fine. Never thinking about asking God for help, right? Never thinking of relying on God because I had it covered myself. Where are we going to put our confidence? Where are we putting our trust? A man that fears God must balance 
Because you've got to earn money. You've got to work for your bread, your wages. You've got to take for your, care of your families and different things like that. But then you also can't be covetous, right? You have to uh, uh, work hard for your employer because that's what they're paying you to do. And it would be dishonest not to work hard and give your all at your job. But you also have to balance not letting that career drive your entire life, right? And get in the way of what God's will is. It's a balance, right? We have to earn money honestly. That's what he's talking about. Uh, and making sure that we give a portion of it back to God that he's blessed us with. So what's going on in this world? He's covered three things in these first few verses, right? He's covering a, a world that, that's chasing after lust, right? A world that's living dishonestly and coveting and everything else. And one thing that's clear is if you're, you want to be a man or a woman that seeks after God, that fears God, that lives righteously, there is no place in our lives for any of that. None of it. When our eye gates, when temptation comes, we've got to close those. We've got to live honestly in everything that we do, all of our dealings and everything. And we've got to be satisfied with what God has blessed us with. And these are just three areas, right? Of fearing God, living righteously, according to the Bible. And I believe even if you take just these first three areas and you try to live biblically according to the three areas... That's enough. I think even one of those areas is enough. You start to really live as a Christian and, and really live a, a, a satisfied life. People will see that and they'll say, now, wait a second. Why aren't you chasing after everything we're chasing after? And that open door. Now, what it does a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, is what's it bring? It brings scorn. They mock you and everything else. Oh, you're one of those goody two-shoes. Oh, you're one of those religious people. Oh, you're one of them. But what I found is, yes, you have to endure that for a while, but eventually one day they'll come to you and say, hey, I see that you're satisfied. I want to know more about your religion, right? Your God, whatever it is. And when that door opens, we can walk through it and say, hey, you won't find satisfaction in this world. The Bible says it, right? You can only find it in Jesus Christ, giving your life to him, serving him. But we're fighting against the world and the world, the Bible says, wants us to conform to it, doesn't it? It's trying to squeeze every one of us into the world's mold. And a lot of Christians do it because there's no resistance in being squeezed into being like the world, conformed to this world. But we're not supposed to be. Right? This world wants us to live chasing after lust. This world wants to be us to be dishonest. It's okay. This world says it's okay to be dishonest. Right? Look at Washington. Right? It's okay. That's what they're saying. You can be dishonest, but not a true Christian, not one living for the Lord. Job is giving a defense of his, his life that he's lived because remember, he's being accused of being a sinner. And if sin's we're putting him in despair, but really we know it was a test. And the test in Job's life, if you haven't caught this from the beginning, is, is really to see if Job would bless God, even though he's going through all these trials, or would he turn his back on God? Because remember, that's what the devil said. Oh, and I'm paraphrasing. Oh, Job, yeah, he loves you, but you've done everything for him. Take it away and we'll see what happens. And that's what the book is. God allows it to be taken away. 
And he doesn't curse God. He still blesses God. Now, he doesn't understand everything that's going on. And here's something I didn't even think about. Do you realize Job in his entire life probably never figured out why all this happened until he left this life, right? We know what happened to Job. I don't think Job knew what happened. Oh, he met God. He realized to, you know, that there were times where he was in the wrong, but hey, he didn't turn on God. He still blessed God. We're under the same microscope by this world and when this world sees real, a real righteous lifestyle, a real Christian, I think some of them will turn in their times of need. Because I'll tell you one thing, this world will let you down. Amen? It will let right. you down in a million ways. But here's the thing. Hopefully that turns people to Jesus Christ who will never let you down. You try him. Oh, I, I, yes, if you watch my life long enough, it won't take you very long. I will let you down. Amen. We each will let you down. Christians will let you down. We are not perfect. We are trying to live as close as we can. But I'll tell you one thing. If you see my faults and failures, you need to look back at Jesus Christ and say, praise God that Jesus died for me and he called me and he's using me even with all my faults and failures. And guess what? He will do that for you too. He will, uh, he will save your soul. If you admit you're a sinner, you'll turn to him and he will use you. He's got a plan for your life. I'm telling you what, you may not even know what you're going to do tomorrow. You may not have some grand plan or maybe you have a five-year plan that really is meaningless because five years ago you had a plan for five years and it didn't turn out any the way you thought it would. But God knows the future and he loves us and he died for us and he wants us. And I'll tell you what, we were bought with a price and you know what I want to do? I want to live as righteously as I can. I want to live as godly as I can. So that way, maybe this world sees something different. And they maybe at first, they'll think it's something special with me. Then I can correct them and say the specialness isn't here. The specialness is Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to open up the altar.